Welcome to Self-Published Success, a show catered specifically to the innovators and entrepreneurs who sought creative control over their titles, chose self-publishing over traditional, and found overwhelming success in the process. In this show, we will introduce these risk takers and ask them a variety of questions. Why did you choose self-publishing? What were your results? And most importantly, what are some secrets to success? Self-published success is designed to get your creative juices flowing, to get you energized and excited for the road to authorship ahead. So sit back, grab your trusted pen and notepad, and get ready to gain tips that will help you along your own self-publishing journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Self-Published Success, a show that highlights forward-thinking authors who chose self-publishing over traditional and found success in doing so. My name is John Feldman, founder of Visionary Literary and your host for today's show. Our guest today is Brett Ridgway. Brett is a 25-year veteran of the speaking industry and the author of eight books. Not only is he an author and a speaker, but Brett, is also, Brett also has a great deal of experience handling book fulfillment, this specifically with regard to back-of-the-room sales tables for speakers. He has assisted with this at 150-plus conferences, providing fulfillment services for some of the biggest names in the industry and speaking on many stages himself. Brett, welcome to the show. Well, I'm so happy to be here, John, and looking forward to hopefully sharing some tips that will help your listeners out. Yes, we are very much looking forward to this. So this is going to be a very speaker-heavy uh, conversation that we're going to have, which is good because many nonfiction authors want to use their books to get on stages because that's where the real ROI on book writing comes in. That's where you can make the real money. Um, so before we get into all of that, and I ask you many, many questions, tell us a little bit more about you, what got you into you know, writing and speaking. You know, it's one of those things, John, where you can look back at very specific things that happened over the course of time that, you know, put you where you're at today, so to speak. But back in the mid-90s, I actually put up the first portal website in the plant engineering and maintenance industry. And so I was doing product fulfillment for back in those days, VHS tapes and, and books aimed at, you know, plant engineers and maintenance techs and people in that niche. And a few years later, when I started handling the bathroom sales at an event because of a joint venture I had with another guy, that led to me getting to know a lot of the speakers in the industry, particularly in the internet and information marketing spaces, very well. And when they found out that I was doing product fulfillment for my own website from the mid-90s, you know, one of them cornered me at an event and said, hey, Brett, will you do some fulfillment for me? And I'd been thinking about it for a while because it was kind of a natural outgrowth of all the people I had gotten to know in the industry. And so that's when in 2003, the company Speaker Fulfillment Services was formed. And Speaker Fulfillment Services is currently in the midst of a rebranding to get ship done, but it's a transition process, obviously. But they provide product duplication fulfillment services for speakers, authors, and information marketers. So it could be home study course on anything from how to make money in real estate to improving improving your relationship. Uh, I mean, you name it. There's there's a course out there, materials out there, and that's what Speaker Fulfillment Services does. So I was you know behind the scenes both as a fulfillment guy and a back of the room sales table guy, and so I was able to see what speakers do well and honestly, John, what many of them fail miserably at. And so my experience in the back of the room and working with authors and speakers led to the eight books that I have written. All were nonfiction. All were honestly hybrid published, except for a few that 
are you know smaller they were booklet type things more than books or whatever so those were self-published but they are primarily in the areas of book publishing speaking information marketing event promoter type tips or whatever so all in that expert space so to speak and based around that so you know that one chance encounter with a guy back in the early 90s in an event led to a joint venture led to backroom sales led to forming a fulfillment company led to me being here today so i love that it always stems from something there's always that that one and i love that you still remember it now we all do we all remember the one moment that you know the the light bulb went off and we're like wow like this let's really dive headfirst into this so glad to see that you're still here that you've learned so much and that you're going to share everything that you've learned with us because we are very intrigued. So everything, oh, we'll be here for five hours or more. <laughs> well, we'll have to at the end of the show, we'll have to point uh, listeners to where they can find you because um, five hours is a little bit over our limit. But I love that you have that that wealth of knowledge. So I want to get right into it. What you said is that you have all this experience being in you know in the back of the room and watching speakers first and seeing what works and what doesn't work. So let's start with the latter. What what have you seen for speakers a common theme that that doesn't work for finding success? What the most speakers tend to undervalue John what it is they bring to the platform. And you need to keep in mind in the speaking industry, there's, in my mind anyway, three key types of speakers. You have your keynote speaker who does, you know, platform presentations where they're paid a fee to come into an association or corporation and deliver a talk. You have what I call your platform sellers. And those are the people that deliver content, but then they pitch some type of product or service from the stage. Could be their book, but in most cases, it's going to be a higher ticket item based on their book. You know, a master class, a mastermind, a home study course or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the third type of speaker is the common businessman. It could be a chiropractor, it could be an attorney, whatever, who speaks as a, a business building tool. So it's a marketing channel for them, but they're not directly from, selling from the stage, but obviously they hope they get clients from getting up on that platform. So I talked about undervaluing, but I think one of the big mistakes that speakers make is that they do that and so if you're an author and you want to get up on stages, keep in mind that if you're getting into the platform selling world, typically it's a 50-50 split between the event promoter and you in terms of what you sell from the platform. And so they don't want you to sell your $20 book from the platform. They want you to come up with that higher ticket item, a thousand or $2,000 product, again, based on your book that will help put money into their pocket as well as your own. Actually, I have a colleague, John, that a few years ago was at an event, and in the course of a 90-minute presentation, he did literally $995,000 of sales from the stage. Now, he's a, he's a pro. I mean, he's mastered the, the clothes and all that stuff. And even after he had to split half of that with the event promoter, you know, who wouldn't like to walk away with that, you know, half a million dollars for, for 90 minutes of work? So. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely make more money as a platform seller than you can as a keynoter if you get good at selling from the stage. But again, the event promoters want those higher ticket items from you, not your $20 book. It's a product that you're pitching. Yeah, I imagine. So in that circumstance you just mentioned, I mean, it's not bad to be an event organizer. For 90 minutes, you get a half a million dollars and you don't have to do any other work after. You just split that commission and then the 
the speaker goes on and you know has to do all the the follow-up work of whatever was just yeah. sold so i mean that that's a dream scenario obviously yeah. uh but yeah and the event promoter has a, a lot of work to do aside from you know you know in terms of getting the event put on and getting bodies into the room and all that but yeah i mean everybody would love to have multiple speakers come in and sell you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and take take a cut of that so it's an interesting world certainly it is well it's a it's a lucrative one as you just mentioned and as we all know public speaking is something that's becoming more and more popular for you know, executives uh, thought leaders ceos to to kind of branch into that as not as, not necessarily a side hustle but a good way to promote your business to spread your message etc but so we talk about what what doesn't work um now any tips anything initially that you can think of maybe for for the the speaker who is I'll say not as experienced, right? So they have a few, you know, gigs under their belt. They're really trying to expand their reach, their just branch out a little bit and get more opportunities. Yeah. It, are, so much of it, honestly, is about relationships and relationship building in this industry. And it's, it's true of any industry, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, the, the fulfillment company that I founded grew to a multi-million dollar company because of relationships. I mean, there was no proactive marketing being done. It was meeting people at events, networking, getting to know them. So these days with the with the virtual world, you've got to get out there and network as much as possible. Yeah. And there are a lot, a lot of, of opportunities, if you wish to speak, to get out there and get to know people in the industry. I mean, there's a gal named Kimberly Crow that puts on an excellent speakers playhouse networking event once a week where speakers can come in and you know, give a short spiel about what their talk is about, who they're looking for as an audience, et cetera. And then also, if you're putting on events, reciprocal. You can talk about what stages you have and what type of speakers you're looking for. But uh, speakers playhouse, OC speakers club, speaker tunity. I mean, there, there's probably a dozen different networking events out there where you can start to be seen and get to know other people in the industry. Now you have, have to come up from a giving standpoint. I mean, what can you offer to them and do for them? Yeah. But it'll come back to you tenfold and it's not an immediate thing necessarily. It's, you know, building relationships takes time and you have to nurture those relationships, but getting to know as many people and getting as many people to know you as you can will help you further that speaking career more than anything. A few years ago, I was actually, one of the books I wrote was called a book called Mistakes Authors Make. And we had decided that we were going to try to make it a, a number one bestseller live. So I was at an event speaking, and this is one of those, oh, you're going to fall flat on your face and embarrass yeah. yourself to the world, or you're going to succeed. But because of the relationships I had with people in the industry over the course of, you know, 15 years or whatever, they were more than happy to help promote that particular launch on that day. And then we got the audience at the event involved in it and we were able to hit number one. But it was kind of like, oh, man, laying it on the line or whatever. Yeah, but, that's, uh, that's risky. <laughs> but you know, it, it worked. So, you Good. know, you know, I think the lesson there is don't be afraid to try things. You, if you're not if you're not ever failing, then you're not ever doing anything. I love that. I love that line. I love that message too. Um, but yeah, that was a, a big risk in front of everyone. You could have, you could have flopped publicly um, in person, but I'm glad that worked out. Uh, it's a great title, by the way, authors, um, mistakes authors make. 
So we being on stage, getting that exposure, right? Like that's excellent advice there. Um, stuff that is definitely needed. I want to talk now about like the, the back of the room, the fulfillment, right? So, so most of us self-published authors, we think about the benefits of print on demand. I'll just put my files on Amazon and Ingram spark. They're there. Somebody goes online and buys it. And then that company, Amazon prints it, ships it, does all that. So fulfillment is all taken care of print on demand. It's hands off for us, but for you, the fulfillment process is a little bit different. So can you just explain to the listeners first how the Amazon print-on-demand process differs from your process? Yeah, the thing that people need to recognize first and most importantly, John, is that, and this is my opinion, and you can agree or disagree, but <laughs> if you have any kind of platform at all and you're driving people to Amazon to buy your book, you're crazy in my opinion. Yeah. Because number one, it's Amazon's customer, not yours. Yeah. They're not going to call you up and say, hey, Brett, you know, Frankie Fish bought your book. Here's his contact information. Go sell him something else. Yep. Doesn't happen. It's Amazon's customer, not yours. Number two, Amazon's going to take their 45 or 55% or whatever. So you're going to make a lot less money per book sold. Number three, you don't have the opportunity to include any kind of collateral material in your outgoing shipment. So if you have, if you want to give them a bookmark or a postcard, or a sales flyer on something else you have to offer or whatever, Amazon isn't going to let you stick that in your in their packages or whatever. So yeah. if you, have, again, have any kind of platform at all, you need to drive people to your own website to buy your book. And you can incentivize them with those other things, like, you know, bookmarks, postcards, author signed copies, or whatever it may be. And that's the way to go, in my opinion. Now, you should be selling on Amazon, no doubt about it. I mean, they're the 800-pound gorilla, and yeah. you need to be there. But if you're driving traffic and you have the ability to drive it to yourself for people to buy, you definitely need to do that. Now, I mean, I do have fulfillment clients, John, that use Amazon for their printing still. Yep. But because they're driving that traffic to their own website, you know, they'll order a couple few cases of their book at a time, ship them to us, and then we handle the individual order fulfillment for the orders that come through their website. So Amazon's a printer, but they're not the selling arm of the equation. And so I think that's important to recognize. You know, there are disadvantages to using Amazon. There's certainly a lot of pros. Yeah. I mean, like I said, no inventory on hand yep. is, is a great thing, but there's the downside you have to consider anyway. Are you enjoying today's episode and hearing this author's stories? Just think a few short months or maybe years ago, this author was just like you. They were an aspiring author with a story to tell listening to podcasts and reading books that could provide the spark needed to begin their authorship journey. But at some point, they had to take a leap of faith and they had to start their project. That leap of faith is what landed them here on our show. You too can be an author, and one day you can be on this very show, but you need to take that leap of faith. Go to www.visionaryliterary.com backslash free book to receive the spark you need to begin your own authorship journey. Yeah. So that's very important to the kind of like owning again, it's Amazon's customer. So you're driving customers to Amazon. And another thing is that when you drive them to Amazon, there are a lot of display ads and other shiny objects that when they get to your page, they might <laughs> click off of your page when they're on your website, 
again, you know who is buying your book. If someone buys it on Amazon, you have no idea who's buying it. And right. that can, for, for two things, that's two ways that's important is one, you can have that customer and their information. You can follow up, you can upsell, cross sell anything there. But like you were saying, adding bookmarks or flyers or just a personalized note, mm-hmm. you like, you can't do that inside Amazon because again, Amazon doesn't tell you who buys the book. If you sell it on your website, you know, because they provide the information. You can just write, you can sign the copy of your book if you want and just write it to them, write a little note. So Again, there are there are pros and cons, like you were saying, um, many of them. And like you said before we hit record, we could talk for five hours on this subject. Um, but 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 yes. So fulfillment back of the room. One of the the pieces of advice that you give for public speakers. So obviously, the event organizer doesn't want you pushing your books, right? But if you are, say, you're on stage, you're a speaker. You have, you know, it's you're, you're closing your speech. You have 200 books in the back of the room and you're trying to drive people to the back of the room to get those. Are there any tips there like for the end of your speech to kind of follow up, to have the audience excited about what's to come inside the book? The thing that I think people don't recognize is that you can use that book as a bonus for that higher ticket item. So you can excite them about, Hey, you can, you can get an author signed copy of the book here. That's, you know, a, a freebie, not a freebie, but a bonus for buying the training course or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, another thing I think you need to recognize, I mean, we're talking about a platform selling situation there, John, but I mean, if you are a, a keynote speaker, for example, there are, if you're going into a corporation or whatever, they may have a separate budget line item for purchase of educational materials. So they may agree to buy 50 or 100 or 200 copies of your book as part of bringing you in for a speaking engagement. So that's something that you can you know, take into consideration. Yeah. Now, you know, by and large... If you're speaking from a platform where you're selling and you're splitting with the event promoter, again, they want that higher ticket item, but maybe you don't have that yet, or maybe you're just a lot more comfortable selling your book. That can still work for you if you have mechanisms inside the book that will drive them to your website or to the other higher end ticket products you may have. And then, I mean, you can have an honor agreement with the event promoter that anything that comes on the back end as a result of them getting this book or whatever, I'm going to split with you. Now, you're on your honor to do it. And yeah. you know, if you don't, you're going to be your, you know, besmirch your name, and then it'll get around in the industry that you're not a straight shooter. So I would not recommend that, certainly. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you can still use the book as a marketing tool in that way. You just, like I said, have to be on your honor system to treat the event promoter fairly. Good. So you... Your company has been around for like 20, 20 years. Yeah. You on your company website, on your personal website, you've got some some images of people that you've been able to work with. Russell Brunson is one that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, there's got to be some cool stories, right? Russell Brunson, anyone else that's on your website. What are What are some of like, we're authors. We like to tell stories and we like to hear stories. Tell us a story of working with one of these amazing people 
and how it came into fruition and how it ended. Well, uh, let me let me approach this, John, from the standpoint of I've shared a couple of stories of mistakes that I saw speakers make that I would advise authors who want to speak not to make if I could. Right. So I don't want to mention any specific names because that would, you know, be, you know, <laughs> selling their reputation or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, we were handling the back of the room in an event. Gosh, it's probably 15 years ago now. But uh, the speaker did what resulted in the every speaker's dream, the true table rush. You know, people coming back to the yes. table, throwing their credit cards at us to buy this person's product. Now, in this particular case, it was it, it was not a book or training course. It was actually a software product, a website development tool. And but they had a great success. They had like three hundred seventy five thousand dollars worth of sales from their one sixty minute talk. Now, you may be thinking, great, fantastic. Would love to have that. But unfortunately, within 30 days, every single penny of that three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars worth of sales had to be refunded to the people who were at the event as it turned out there was there was a bug in the software they could never figure out how to fix it oh and so it was a major embarrassment for the speaker a major hit to the pocketbook of both the event promoter and, and it didn't help my pocketbook at any because we took a cut of the promoter's money for managing the back of the room oh but you know the mistake was selling a product from the stage that wasn't fully developed and, and tested and all that now, I think you can get away with selling from the stage that's not, not developed if it's like a, a, a classroom type thing or a, a webinar series that you're going to be recording live to create the product. That's fine. But if you're doing some kind of tool or, gosh, I mean, it could even be a training course. We did another event in Vancouver a couple of years after that where the speaker said, hey, the, the training materials will be ready to go in two weeks. So a bunch of people bought bought the product. Mm. And then two invariably two weeks turned into four and four turned into six. And again, everything had to be refunded because he could not meet the timeline that had been promised. So, I mean, the lesson is, you know, don't sell something from the stage unless you're <laughs> fully aware that it's ready to go or you have the plan in place to make sure that you meet those timelines. So, yeah. You know, another one, we were handling the product launch for a guy in the Forex market. You familiar with it? Forex, foreign exchange currency. Yeah. So it was commodity training, essentially. And they had done numerous product launches over the years or whatever. And so we were doing the physical product. It was, of course, CDs and DVDs and some manuals and stuff. And so they opened their shopping cart and launched the product. And then, you know, boom, three or four hours later, their shopping cart was shut off. Well, they had simply neglected to pick up the phone and call their merchant account provider and say, hey, we're doing a product launch, so we're going to be running a lot more money through the account than we normally do. Because most people don't realize when you set up a merchant account, you define an average ticket price and the monthly expected volume that you're going to do. And when you get things that happen outside those norms, you know, the credit card company thinks it's probably fraud or whatever. So they're going to shut you down. So in my estimation, this particular client lost Three to four hundred thousand dollars worth of sales because they hadn't picked up the phone and made a simple phone call to alert their provider what they were doing. So, wow. I mean, I mean there's all sorts of little things that can, that can kill you as a speaker and kill you as an author who wants to be getting getting into speaking. Well, I have a guy who's an author who had a uh, I was having lunch with him a few years ago and he had developed a list of like fifty five thousand people in the financial spaces niche, and he had 
got got this great list, but he decided he was going to bring in an internet guru to help him craft a new campaign or whatever. Well, they came in with a very hard-hitting email, very salesy or whatever, and it started to happen immediately. Unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. When all was said and done, a list of 55,000 people had dwindled down to a list of 5,000 people. He killed his list. And the mistake there was that you know, he had created a brand. Part of your brand is how you communicate with your audience and the email perceptions that you put into place in terms of the tone, frequency, et cetera, of your communication. So if you're going to bring anybody in to work with you, could be a VA, could be a team member, could be a guru or whatever, you better make sure they understand how you've communicated with their list ahead of time and figure out how you can transition to that harder hitting message Versus just going smack and, and slamming it on them and, and killing your list. So, yeah. Well, those are some some very big um, mistakes and ones that that most people wouldn't think of. That's kind of learned by doing. Except for when you speak to to someone like yourself, um, who's seen these scenarios and can help others to avoid them. So, very good advice. One one last question that I do have that stems from self-publishing. So you've either went hybrid or self-published both or all eight books. Um, so you retain complete control, complete control ownership of your IP, right? Are there any circumstances you've obviously worked with a lot of authors, a lot of speakers, a lot of event organizers. So you've probably seen both like the traditional side of publishing, um, and self-published books. Are there pros and cons like what what is the benefit of retaining that ip when you are trying to sell your book in the back of a room well i mean it's critically important john obviously so you know if you go with a traditional publisher you got to be real careful that you don't give up those ip rights because if you want to develop a back-end course or or something like that based on your book you don't necessarily have the right to do that so you're really limiting what you can do as an author by going that route. Now there's advantages to every approach out there, traditional, hybrid, self-published, et cetera. And you got to determine what's right for you. I mean, I seriously considered self-publishing my newest book, which is coming out next month, how to build a profitable speaking business. But I decided after much thought that I would go with the hybrid publisher I'd worked with before, even though I knew it was going to slow down the process considerably. I mean, number one, you know, they published my books previously, but now they require me to go get a, a, a high ticket copy editor to go through the book one more time. So that was, you know, that was $700 that I didn't expect to spend, yeah. you know, and they have their own timelines in terms of, you know, the various steps of the process and interior design, exterior design, boom, 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 boom. And you're always kind of waiting in the queue for the next person on their team that you have to meet with to be available. And so, I mean, the book probably would have been out two months ago if I had self-published it, honestly. Now, would it have been as good of a book because it didn't have that copy? You know, not not as good, but it was still a good book. I had people tell me that this doesn't need copy editing. It's good to go. But going through that copy edit process did improve it all, I will admit. Um, But because of going the hybrid publishing route, it's pushing the, the curve back in terms of release. So it won't be out on my website until March. And through the tra- traditional channels, Amazon and then the bookstores until the fall, probably. 
So the trade-off was, all right, it's going to slow down the curve, but there's advantages because it gives me more time to develop some of the back-end products or services that the book's going to push people to so those are ready to roll when the book is out there. I mean, I was reading a book a few years ago, John. It was, uh, gosh, what was it? It was a fairly well popular book, The Ultimate Sales Machine, I think, by a guy named Chet Holmes. And he had a bunch of bounce backs in the book where he would, you know, go to this website to get this checklist or whatever. Half of them didn't work. He didn't have the oh. back in place. So if you're going to put a book out there, just be sure that yeah, everything that that book is part of is ready to go. Yes, that's so important. Um, that's kind of cringy for for that author, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's been resolved. So I know I said that was the last question, but now I have one more. Oh, far away, man. Yeah, you are tons of knowledge in the speaking realm. You're also an eight-time author. Is there in in working with these event organizers? Do you feel that it is for for someone who is just trying to get their foot in the door as a speaker? How important is it? to have a published book or is it not that important is it is it easier or harder to get on stage if you're an author very important to have a book or books honestly i mean it, it gives you a level of credibility that when an event promoter is assessing different speakers to bring on their platform well if you have three different speakers who talk on copywriting but only one of them has a book but they're going to be more credible in the eyes of that event promoter and more likely to get on that platform so, yeah, get the book done, get multiple books done. You know, I probably have five more books in me. I just got to think out what all they are, and, you know, and, and roll them out there. But, yeah, it, it's critical to have a book, no doubt about it. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, that you've confirmed that because that's what um, that's what we tell every public speaker we speak to. And, and any group of public speakers that kind of collaborate with one another all have the same thing. So um, very, very important to have a book. Also very important to have somebody like you who is insanely knowledgeable in the whole realm, again, of public speaking, of authorship, of, of book fulfillment. Where where can people, where can listeners find you and kind of tap more into that, that knowledge base that you have? Sure. The primary website is brettridgeway.com, and that's Brett with one T and Ridgeway with no E. But uh, my focus these days, John, is primarily on the, the speaking niche, honestly, and helping people who have a powerful message they need to get out there, learn how the industry really works and what are all the pieces that they need to put into place in terms of systems and assets to be somebody that the event promoter will want to bring on their stage. So there's a right way and wrong way to do that, and avoiding some of those mistakes is critical. I mean, your success as a speaker, an author, an entrepreneur, or whatever, is going to be determined largely by the things that you do, but maybe even more so by the things that you don't do. And yeah. learning and learning what those don't do things are is critical. I love that. That is so important. Um, take risks like you uh, trying to get that number one bestseller live on stage. That was a big risk. You know, like you said, you could have fallen flat on your face, but you didn't. You succeeded but you never would have succeeded if you didn't take that risk. So love that story and that message. Brett, you are, again, I've said it so many times here in the last couple of minutes, but you have so much knowledge in this space. So we really do thank you for, for coming on, sharing everything. And to all the listeners, please go follow Brett wherever you can, because again, he has much more knowledge that we can continue to, uh, to pull out of him. And again, Brett, thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Self-Published Success. We encourage you to put the tips and tricks you've discovered in this episode to use in your own author strategy. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on your preferred listening platform. Until next time, continue chasing your vision of authorship success.